All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Buddy Walk with Jesus. As always, as we get started, we want you guys to know two very important things that you are prayed for and you are loved deeply. If you are in need of prayer, do not hesitate to reach out. Prayer at buddywalkwithjesus.com or you can head on over to Facebook, find the show page, shoot a message. Our prayer team will be there to engage. Last but certainly not least, if you are looking for a spot to engage with the saints, to be able to engage with a body of believers, you can head on over to Facebook, look up the Buddy Walk community. It's a private Facebook page that we have, uh, a private Facebook group, I should say, um, that we have all set up um, where there's prayer, there's memes, there's nonsense, there's study, all of that kind of stuff. So, um, I promised you guys um, some special conversations as we wrap up our time in Esther. Um, As you guys know, this was um, new territory for for me doing um, this style of of book study, um, but with something with the Old Testament and especially something like Esther. Um, but one of the things that I love about studying the Bible and about studying um, new and interesting things is it has a way of eliciting some some really interesting conversations along the way, which brings us to today. Um, guys, I want to introduce you to somebody new to the show. If you guys watch Kingdom on the Road, this is Ant's daughter, Tiara. Welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> uh, it's so fun to be introduced as Ant's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, it's it's funny because um aunt told me like I I know for as long as I've been working with your dad doing doing the live streams and broadcasting and all of the different things um I've heard a lot about you and your brother and one of the things that I I have heard about you is that you are um definitely socially minded you are you you have an advocate's heart for um for for different people groups different situations things like that um which is something that i i definitely i definitely vibe with um and so it was it was i I was excited to get a chance to actually meet you face to face when i was out there uh, a couple of months ago and um man when we had that conversation um everything that um and and told me about that uh, about your your personality type and all that kind of stuff um was certainly true um <laughs> so but before we get there why don't you tell the people a bit about yourself yeah for sure so um as joe already pointed out um i am Anne's daughter so i am a pk a pastor's kid um i think that's a very important part of how i carry myself and something i have to deal with when other people interact with me a lot as well um, so I just want to get that out of the way. But um, aside from that, I am also an advocate. I'm also a student right now. I'm getting my PhD. Um, 
in my third year of that program. So I'm an academic, um, I'm an activist. I'm also a very big pop culture fan. So I have a lot of fandoms that I'm involved with um, and a lot of different passions. But yeah, that's a little bit of what I would say about me. Um, yeah. All right, quick quick sidebar before we get to the meat and potatoes of it. What are some of your favorite fandoms? So if I have to go off the top of my head, the ones that I'm most active in, there are several anime. So I'm big in the anime community. Um, I actually went to DreamCon this summer, which is like a big black gaming and anime convention, which was super cool. I got to take my brother and my little cousin with me. Uh, so that's a big one. Um, and then as far as TV shows, I will always claim Supernatural. <laughs> always and forever a diehard Dean fan. Um, and then um, I'm also very much into K-pop. So, okay. yeah, a big BTS fan. But a lot of others, it's kind of weird to say BT I'm a BTS fan now because they're so popular. And I remember when right. they won't. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so a lot of – I dibble and dabble in a lot of different things. Um, also have a lot of YA books that I'm – those fandoms I'm a part of. So, like, Harry Potter, uh, Percy Jackson, which is really hype right now because of the new series. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I had written off Percy Jackson when I watched the first movie. I was like, "What is this nonsense?" And then my my brother in law, who grew up with those books, was like, "Yeah, no, try try out the books. Try try out the books because he knows I'm into like myth and mythologies and all of that kind of stuff." And mm -hmm. uh, I I have to say, after reading after reading the books, um, I have been made a fan. I think the books. Um, I was gonna are, say, don't judge him that so movie. <laughs> No, <laughs> but um, so one of the things that brought this conversation and, and today's episode about is while I was out in Colorado, we had the chance to have a conversation and, um, you know, I, I, I have been the type that I have always kind of had my. I called them, I used to, I used to call them silent convictions, you know, things that I was passionate about. Um, but, but I wasn't necessarily going to be the person that was going to be super outspoken about things. Um, and then I started working with the people of India and I realized how prevalent Islamophobia is and all of that kind of stuff and and that kind of started the ball rolling and then i was asked to to get involved in the conversation about esther and for such a time as this and all of that kind of stuff and that brought about our conversation when i heard you mention that you were looking into esther and um some of the creative writing work that you're doing and and all of that kind of stuff and we that that sparked a a, a great conversation about the engaging with the whole of the story right engaging mm -hmm. with everything that brought about the story of esther and the value of realizing that they're not just meat puppets that are being moved around the chessboard oh. you know what i mean like these are people that are that are accepting what is being put on their heart and acting in a manner of faith. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so what are your, 
let let's let, let's talk about what that what that looks like from somebody that has a passion for understanding how well the passion for understanding the bible articulating the bible but also some of these same concepts that are being used and and abused in the modern context in these political realms and in the current conflict in the middle east to try and justify things and and stuff like that is this something that you've always been like is are you where did the where did this attention come from of looking looking at these kinds of things and and all that yeah so i think that um for me a big part of it is um I grew up in a house where we were taught it's okay to ask questions. Mm. Um, and I think that is probably the biggest part of who I am today is that I understand that you can ask questions about something and really interrogate it and not, and do it without meaning that you are hateful or spiteful towards it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's been a big thing for me is that like, I, even as I encounter different things, because I do work a lot in the realm of social justice issues, which like, as you mentioned, get, gets really political really quickly, um, is that I've learned instead of backing down from them, be like, I'm just not going to talk about it. I'm just going to kind of like blindly accept what I know or what I've been told on both ends, whether it's on the biblical side or on the social justice side. Instead, I go and I ask the questions. I'll say, okay, well, what do you mean by social constructivism, right? Like, what do you mean by everything is a lie and everything's a social construct? And then I'll go to the other side and be like, okay, well, what does it God really mean uh, when he says specific issues on like whatever the issue is, homosexuality, settler colonialism, all of these different things. So I am just a very much interested in asking hard questions um, and taking the time to wrestle through them. But I think that like, as far as like, have I been interested in it? I think since I was little, I was really interested in, I wanted to be a part of building a just world. Like I wanted to be president for a little while. And then I was like, president can't do anything. And then I was like, I'll be a lawyer. And then I did teen court and stuff. And I was like, oh God, this is not the solution. And then I was like, I'll just figure out somehow to be a champion of justice. I was like, maybe I'll be Sailor Moon. I don't know. <laughs> but when I got into academia, I really like understood, began to understand that for me personally, I think the place to start is with our ideas, right? It's like, yeah. how do we approach topics? How do we think about these things? And then from there, we can kind of course correct and be like, okay, this is how we ended up here because we started off with this inherent flaw in our thinking. And I think yeah. that that for me is like where I like to go. It's like, okay, well, what do you actually mean by that word? Because like, that's where this all comes from, right? And so I think right. the issue with like Esther is like a big, comes up a lot, right? Like these, these ideas of determinism or like, what does it mean for us to say that for such a time as this, right? That we were born, right? What does that actually mean? And what does that look like? Um, so those are the kinds of things that I, I'm interested in, kind of how I got there, I guess. Yeah, when, when you look at, especially the Old Testament, there, there is such a necessity to define terms because in a modern context, it's so easy to read a different definition into a word that the source material never intended to have. Mm -hmm. 
And when you look at something like Esther and you take each one of those pieces out and if if you there there's like four or five different spots where if you take those out of context if you take those out of what they what they mean in the words and and all of those kinds of things and you read 2023 language into it well suddenly at one point you have determinism at another point you have god purposefully putting his people in harm's way also that way they could be the conquering bloodthirsty heroes and kill all of their all of their enemies for two days straight now we can't negotiate our way out of the fact that the end of the book of esther has violence that has those moments of the jewish people needing to defend themselves but suddenly when you try and put A and B together, you suddenly have, well, look, in the book of Esther, they said for such a time as this, and we're saying for such a time as this, and and we stand with Israel. And so now everything that's happening in the Middle East is now suddenly okay because it's God's righteous people doing what they do. You know what I mean? And that's not that's not even the really hard gymnastic routine to get there. I'm watching people pretty easily put those puzzle pieces together and get that. Yeah, I have I've had several conversations about this with a good uh, friend of mine um, and that we've really thankfully we've been able to kind of work through and navigate it together um, because she's been watching a lot of the things that I post online, which have been more along the lines of like, let's interrogate settler colonialism let's like not just blindly stand with israel right like let's consider that palestinian palestine's issues are also legitimate and so she did ask me similarly like how do you do that how do you say that as a christian aren't we as christians supposed to just support israel and i think one of the biggest things that i ran into with that and we talked about this a little bit at the lunch is that like people tend to equate israel the nation, the present nation state to Israel of the Bible, and they're not the same thing, right? Like, right. even if we just think of a modern nation state today, right, as we define a nation state, it is not equivalent to the empires or the ethnic communities that were referred to in the Bible. And I feel like we don't really do that with other nations, so to say, like, we're not referring to like, Iraq as Persia still or Babylon or like any of these other places, but Israel, we kind of blindly um, do that. But I, and I feel like that is largely because of, you know, it's in the U.S.'s interests, right, to actually help Israel. Um, and so that's something that I think gets overlooked when we try and make it a, a religious conversation only or a political conversation only when this is very much both. But yeah, I think that you're right. Like, it's like we can't just throw around these blanket turns or I stand with Israel. We have to ask, well, who is Israel and what does that mean today? Right. And it's hard because there are people that are um, that are part of this conversation who are the I don't stand with Israel crowd, but are using that as a platform to justify anti-Semitism. Mm. And so suddenly now you're getting looped in with 
a whole group of people that you're not trying to go that because if, if anything, the, the thing that studying Esther has shown me when I look at the wide context, and it's going to be a little bit different for the folks that are listening to this because a lot, there, there's a large presence of the international community that listen to the podcast. Um, but when you, when you narrow that into the American perspective, there is a serious lack of understanding on Jewish studies because it became popularized to say that the Jews killed Jesus. Hmm. And thus, because you are a Christian, you cannot stand with a false religion like Judaism. Except for the fact that Judaism and Christianity will forever be intrinsically tied. Right. Even if they don't, even if there are Jewish people that do not recognize Jesus as the son... Judaism and Christianity are still intrinsically tied. We still worship the same God. Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of these things that like when I when I listen to folks and I I have been I have been low key watching the stuff that you've been posting myself. Um there you you posted a list of companies and I we we talked about this. I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, I really fundamentally believe in, um, you, you make your voice heard at an economic level by where you choose to spend your money. Right. Mm -hmm. If you disagree with the company, don't spend money with them. Mm -hmm. And so to somebody like me, when you posted a list of companies that have interests overseas, that was very valuable because I didn't, some of them I knew other ones. I was like, Oh, I did not know that they had an interest there. And so, um, getting a chance to, um, get, getting a chance to see that and then kind of do, do some research into these companies. Suddenly my eyes are open and, and I'm like, Hmm, I don't, know as though I want to support a company that has interests in this because I don't agree with it because um, the reality is, is I am, um, I, I am, I am in the same boat and this is, you know, hearing, hearing people like yourself and following, um, following folks that are willing to step forward and and have these conversations gives guys like me the courage to be able to step forward because I do tend to work with an older crowd and say, no, I don't stand with Israel mm-hmm. because this is not like what's happening is not okay at a humanity level. Right. It's not okay. So real quick sidebar. The consummate party crasher has arrived. Welcome back. You know him. You marginally like him sometimes. <laughs> What's up, Andrew? What's up? I came in at the uh, the time where obviously things have already gotten a little heavy. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, things have things have gotten right off to the races. Yeah. So to catch you to catch you up, we've started talking about some of the misreadings of of Esther, um, some of the deterministic um, perspectives, some of the same stuff that you and I have talked about um, on the show previously. But specifically, we've started transitioning. <laughs> there are some things that you feel like you gotta when you step in they front of the microphone enough times. So, they just yeah. don't. And you're like, haven't I said this? Yes, several times, as a matter of fact. But we will several more. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, but it, we we started talking about how when you grab some of these deterministic perspectives and you misread some of the language there, um, that that that's how you kind of put the put the puzzle pieces together and get these falsehoods, like you know, Israel doing what it needs to do because that's what that nation does and all of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you had you had mentioned something that um, I, I'm, I'm glad that Andrew is here for because um, Andrew is uh, out of everybody on um, the network, he is geared pretty heavily towards um, sociology and uh, the political world as it pertains to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and honestly, even but the some some of the very first times of me getting in front of the mic and being willing to get into the political conversation and not just you know let it pass by me and say that's for somebody else to handle and all of that kind of stuff has been because of Andrew and, and being on, being on his show. Um, but we had, we had started talking about how there's a difference between the Israel of the Bible mm-hmm. and the nation state of Israel as it currently sits. And that one of the biggest reasons why we, we the, it's this whole idea of we stand with Israel is because it's in the U S's best interest to, to do theology. so it's cold war yep. theology straight up exactly cold war theology mm-hmm. so um the other i think the other i think the side b of that conversation is that it's that it's that good old-fashioned left behind theology also also coming coming back around and that's something that we've talked about a lot um especially during the matthew series that mm-hmm. Um, it's this idea that it's a coming of the new age that like a sign of the coming of the new age that Mm -hmm. Israel becomes a nation and all of that kind of stuff. And like that whole idea of that year being, you know, one of the signs of the second coming and all of that kind of stuff. And so now you have a whole subsect of people that now are intrinsically tying the nation as it currently sits of Israel as a benchmarker for the second coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So. And it's, you, it's not, it's not, I guess it's very, very connected. The fact that you went from Matthew to Esther, even though it wasn't your intention. It right. was good. We can pretend like it was for your listeners. You can just cut that part out. <laughs> he brilliantly planned out that we would do. He would go from Matthew into Esther, because you know Matthew is heavily about Judaism mm-hmm. being fulfilled. 
I mean, that that is Matthew's goal in his Gospels. The kingdom of God is at hand is because of the fact that the king of kings is finally sitting on his throne. And that that's the goal here. Mm-hmm. Esther is the opposite spectrum of that, of the fact that even when it looked like we were in chains and in danger, God was still on his throne. You know, the kingdom, it, it's the same message overall. Like you said, the the problem comes in when we want to, and this is, I don't know how far into it you've gotten yet, but, you know, the, this is the dangers of why the church is labeled as being anti-Semitic. So often when we have these discussions is because we just assume that because Matthew was talking about the kingdom of Israel, that we can now talk replacement theology of the church is Israel. And so it doesn't matter about any of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Or we can go the other round and say, well, because it's not replacement theology, the, the Jewish people are still the same nation of Israel we had in the old Testament. And so we have to look at everything still through the same lens. And both of those miss both the story of the scriptures and the story of world history altogether. Right. Right. Because they get stuck in the kind of the black or white, right? Like it's in either or instead of recognizing that the world we live in is messy and is oftentimes a both and situation and not an either or, right? Especially in the cases of history, right? Um, So, yeah, I think that's important. Like looking at like, obviously you have the two polar opposite poles, but like where do we find ourselves in the middle? It's like people who are actually trying to figure this out as opposed to just like, gravitating towards one or the other. Yeah, and, the, and that's where the bigger conversation overall is just our ecclesiology is bad because we don't understand what it actually means to be the church. You know, the, the church is the in-between because we are not of this world, yet we are still here because now we are the exiles. Mm-hmm. But we are not in exile in the same way that Israel was. Right. And we are not Israelites unless genetically we are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and you, and that, that's why this, this whole thing gets all messy because you have Jewish Christians that have been in Jerusalem and their families have been Christians and serving the same community for 2000 years. And when this conversation comes up, we don't listen to them. Right. And we don't yeah. listen to the Palestinian church that's just across the wall from the church that is in the Jewish section of Jerusalem. And the fact that the two pastors there are having coffee together regularly because they recognize the fact that the church has an important role in this and it is not to be taking sides. Mm-hmm. It is to be calling for peace because that's what Christians are supposed to be within the world is peacemakers. I think then for the question, the question then becomes, right, what do we mean by peace? Right? right. Because I tend to focus on peace, not as necessarily the absence of like wars or conflicts, but peace as a re- reconciliation. Right. That mankind's relationship with God now has the opportunity to be restored. Right. And I don't think that like that necessarily precludes that means that wars end. Right. Um, so I think the question then becomes practically, what does that look like for us? 
to say that, okay, we are for peace, right? We are for reconciliation, but we also are about acknowledging past traumas, right? We're also about acknowledging right. ongoing violences, right? We're also about, yep. you know, actually looking for restoration and not just saying, okay, both sides be quiet and stop shooting each other. Right. And I think that like, that's where we get lost is in the me that meaty part is like, what does that actually look like? Um, and as much as we can kind of say, oh, I'm for peace or I'm for Israel or I'm for Palestine, I think it's the details that are messed up. Right. It's like, that's, you can somebody, wait and flag somebody asked day. me that this morning. Somebody actually asked me, what do you mean by peace? Because this is, I don't know if, if your dad filled you in on what happens to me online or if Joe did, but there, we had, I, very simple statement that I had made of the fact that Christians are not called to have enemies. We're called to love our neighbor. Very simple statement. Got major uproar from large sections of Christianity that are arguing that because of war, we are supposed to have enemies. Because of violence, we're supposed to have enemies. And when I mentioned the fact that Christ calls us to be peacemakers, like, well, what is peace? Well, what is peace? Peace is a gift of the Spirit. Peace is something that comes from the Spirit of God when we're actually talking about literal peace here. And so the Spirit of God does not ignore past traumas. The Spirit of God sees the past trauma and heals it. The Spirit of God provides peace in the midst of turmoil. And so while the bombs are falling, we still know that God is in control, which is the entire message that Mordecai gives. Right. Yeah. If if it, if deliverance does not come from you, God will find somebody else to find it. Because we have faith and know that God is going to do it. Peace comes from the Spirit, and the only people that can bring that into a situation is the church. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, the church actually has to recognize, one, what the Spirit is empowering us to do. And two, that that means that we may have to be in the line of fire for a while. Yep. Yep. Which means that we have to acknowledge that Israel has com committed mass atrocity against the Palestinian people. Yeah. Well, we also have to be, like, submitted to Holy Spirit, right? We have to be not led by us. I think that's the right. other thing is that like we get caught into this is what I think, this is what I'm about, right? And not actually taking the time to listen to the unctions of Holy Spirit, right? And leaning into compassion, right? Leaning into listening instead of just acting out on anger, right? Because mm -hmm. we're so like, oh no, to be a Christian means that I stand for what I believe in and I tell everybody else what I believe in and I don't back down. And like, yes, that does it does mean that, but like what you believe in is supposed to be, like you said, peace. It's supposed to be love, right? right. What, what is it you actually believe here? So what have you, right, exactly. So why don't we model it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's that's really been baked into um, the thesis statement of for such a time as this and this whole season of Buddy Walk that blindly following a specific model of thought just because it comes from a talking head just becomes just because it comes from your side just because it comes from somebody that you listen to or something along those lines that's a dangerous thing because that's the kind of thing that leads to blind hatred 
Mm-hmm. And that's that's a reality that I see more and more the more I oh allow myself to get involved in this conversation that so much of this comes down to blind, ignorant hatred. Because people hear the name Palestine and they think 9-11 doesn't have anything like doesn't need to have anything to do with anything. That's those are that's letting the facts get in the way of a good story. But they've associated that one with the other and thus, oh, Palestine must be bad. And then you couple that with an upbringing of, oh, Israel must be good. So suddenly, and and then the American proclivity towards the hero's story. So suddenly you've got your hero, you've got your villain, you've got the narrative, you're good to go. You've got it all, you've got it all wrapped up in a nice little bow. You understand what side you're on without ever actually taking the time to understand what exactly is going on in all of this without realizing that these following following the spirit acts of faith this the, the this whole idea of sovereignty and god being in control yeah those are the very tenets of what we are looking at when we look at something like Esther, they just don't mean the thing that popularized. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We just need to redefine those terms. We're saying the same words. We just mean two wildly different things. Sovereignty isn't controlling the meat puppets. Sovereignty is saying, I've put this on somebody's heart. I am acting. I am there. Even if nobody is saying my name, I am there. I am involved. And if this person denies getting involved and and acting on what I've laid on their heart, I'll put it on somebody else's heart. That's beauty. And that's the thing that I'm left when I look at this and I'm like, how you're missing the most beautiful version of the story when you divorce out the actual character of God and start filling in the gaps with... I need to have a a bloodthirsty conquering hero. I need to see all of this happen in the bad guys losing their lives. I need to see the fact that God is ultimately in control. And it's this idea of control by proxy. Even if we aren't the ones that are pushing the buttons and turning the knobs, we need to know that God is ultimately pushing the buttons and turning the knobs rather than saying, okay, I've created you. Hey, I've given flat out plain as day what the ways to life are. Now go do what you're going to do because that that's where the mess is. Mm -hmm. That's where it gets messy. And we can't just say we side with this. We side with that. We do this. We do that because then we're just relying on our own understanding rather than like you were saying, Tara, listening to the nuances in that still small voice of Holy spirit. And it, it gets even more messy in this topic, especially in relation to Esther, 
because a lot of what you're talking about there as far as the, you know, America is just going to say Israel is good. Hmm. Why are we even saying it? We're saying it because it benefits us. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think we lost. Oh, it. I was like, did he freeze just yeah. for me? Well, we're <laughs> saying that we want. Oh, there it goes. They did this yesterday too, right? As I was yeah. getting into it, it just cuts out. It, it, the The idea of putting the Jews back in their homeland was always advertised since the late 1800s, early 1900s, as we're doing this for the Jews. But the reality was the wording that was used used was the same wording that Hitler used of the Jew problem. We have to take care of the Jew problem. It was about getting rid of them out of our land, not about putting them back in theirs. The church picks it up and says, we're doing this because God says, if you bless Isaac, he will bless you. So it's about us getting our blessing. Right. We're not being Mordecai or Esther in the story here. We are Hazarus, who only used the queen as a tool to get what he needed within the political spectrum. Yeah. There, This is exploitation. And in and not only are we exploiting the Jewish people, we are exploiting them and encouraging them to now exploit the Palestinians as well. Yeah. And I think like to add on to like what both of you are saying is that for me, a lot of that comes from the way that we are taught to, well, not, not only to see the world, but also to read the Bible mm-hmm. in the sense that we read it from a very individualistic perspective. And we read it from a me-centered perspective, right? It's all about what do I get out of this Bible? What is it that's being said to me? What is for me as I'm reading? Instead of actually reading it for what, like you said, Joe, the character of God, the nature of God. What is God's heart, right? Instead, you're like, oh, I'm Esther because I identify with this story. And you're like, you're not Esther. You're whoever from L.A. You're not Esther, right? (laughs) (laughs) like so i think that like that's really a big thing and then like because we as a society in america specifically are so invested in individualism we also treat nations as isolated individuals right right Right? so we'll ascribe the same kind of characteristics to oh america has its interests china has its Mm -hmm. interests right and we treat them as individuals bound to individuals um when we're really just talking about the government itself And I think that's another thing that comes up, right, especially in this issue of equating Israel, the nation state to all Israelis, right, or all Jews, right? And you're like, wait a second, that's not what this is about either. And so I think that that for me is something that also is really important is like, what are we, what position are we adopting in the sense of like, how are we reading? How are we seeing? Are we looking at this for the me in it? Or are you actually looking at it for what it says? The first time that I am willing to okay. The first time that I got that I was introduced to this idea of people reading themselves into scripture was David. Mm -hmm. I don't know who needs to hear this. You are not David. You're not Goliath. You're not even the slingshot that throws the pebble at at Goliath's head. You're nothing in that story. That's not the point of the story. God is not here to slay your giants. That's not what the point of the story is. And that was the first time that I was like, when, when like really listening to 
some of the whole theological stances that were built around reading yourself into or reading God as the 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 cosmic mess cleaner mm. out of a ba- just based around the David and Goliath story. I'm like, what? So so if if God is just meant to slay your giants. Oh, dude, then, then God has a lot to answer for in other parts of the mm-hmm. world. Why isn't he slaying their why are right. why are kids yeah. going hungry every single day? Why are kid why are kids little little ones? We want to talk about how we're all, you know, Christians are are pro-life. What about kids getting blown up and bought not talking where- about and that's where the problem comes in, even though on the other side of the issue of people, when we start talking about the fact that the gospel has social justice implications, it's like, well, if Jesus came to free the oppressed and to give sight to the blind, it was good news to the poor. Why is all this other stuff happening? Yeah. But again, it's one of because the- we, we don't have our ecclesiology is off. We don't yeah. under we don't understand what it actually means to be the church. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the things, one of one of the core things that kept coming up when we had our conversation in Denver was, I don't know how you read Jesus and not get social justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they, it's because they read it, and I mean, this is shout out to the Minister Misfits blog. You know, they, they read it in a way that one of two ways. One is they read it where Jesus is spiritual. That's it. He's spiritual. And so there is nothing we have to do here. Or they read it the even more extreme way of Jesus is no nothing more than Heracles out of mm-hmm. Greek mythology. He's a demigod, and so that means he he's incapable of ever he was incapable of ever sinning. So that means that temptation is now sinful. He was incapable of getting sick, and so that means that we need we we don't have to worry about viruses and things like that because we have the spirit now too, and so we don't have to mask. Yeah, we don't have to worry about the poor and sick among us because the gospel is about spiritual revival. And not physical revival. So we don't have to worry about that because all God cares about is our, our our spiritual state and nothing about our, our physical sp- state. And yeah, it's Gnosticism and it's slaveholder theology. I think that's a really interesting point. I think for me and my experience with individuals who are like anti or says that the Bible does not apply support social justice it is usually more about political issues than it is actually about um, them being like oh we should focus on the spiritual part it's more about specific like you can identify the big ones like the pro-life issue or like same-sex marriage like specific ones that they say because social justice issues also represent sin right and are like endorsing sin they condemn the whole thing Instead of actually looking at it and like saying, okay, but what is the principle behind this? 
Mm-hmm. And like, in what way can we consider this principle, like what they're advocating for in sense of justice, right? Understanding that there's equal opportunities, equal rights, right? Like in what way do we, when we look at that, right? Where do we see that contradicting? Like, yes, on the sense of like, we see that there are certain moral issues according to what the Bible says is sin or not. But I think that like, that is not enough to throw out the whole concept of social justice. But I think in my experience, that's what I've seen people do is right. They'll be like, oh, social justice is about same sex marriage. So I don't want anything to do with it. And Jesus wouldn't either. And you're like, well, that's not the only thing. It's also about, right, like recognizing human rights, right? It's also about um, uh, eradicating poverty, right? It's also about taking care of our earth, right? Like all of these different issues that have to deal with creating a just society. And I think that's where you run into this core tension between as Christians, what do we prioritize? Do we prioritize regulating sin for ourselves in the world? Or do we prioritize opportunities and moments to allow the spirit to work in us to show the power of God and the right. heart of God for people. And yeah. and that's, and especially again, going back to even the topic, as far as when we're talking about the way we approach Judaism, Judaism has always been since going back into the law of Moses has always been very much about social justice. Mm-hmm. Like the, the yeah. law was set up that way. God was very intentional about the fact that Israel, even when they were doing things that were not that, you know, later on when Jesus comes, we find out that is not what we're supposed to be doing. The restrictions God put on those actions in the law of Moses were ones where there was no way the nations around them were going to be able to say, oh, yeah, they're just like us. Right. There was no way. It was all about caring for those that were in oppression, whether spiritual or physical or both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you, when you intrinsically tie, you know, I've seen the more, the more that I've, I've seen the wide angle, the more I've seen how people will um, start pulling in the really wackadoo spiritual stuff and all of that kind of stuff, but at a practical level, especially being somebody who is way more given to um, the tangible, practical implications of being the church in your community. There's a, there's a reason why the eventuality is that I won't just be, a member of sure foundation in spirit. It's a whole vibe and a whole thing that you, that you stand for that I believe deeply in. So practically I have heard more of what you're talking about of, Oh, social justice just means that you want to make allowances Mm -hmm. for sinful behavior. That's all. And especially being in Pennsylvania, nobody really wants to talk about this, but the East Coast is, um, I, look, I understand some of you guys. I know the, I know the analytics. I know what I'm about to say. So just hopefully 
you guys have you guys have some understanding when I say this. The East Coast is an incredibly racist area. Like, I spread around the link to my ordination ceremony. I'm not going to talk about some of the some of the nonsense that I heard. And so so when when you start talking about things like social justice people are like oh you just want to support that 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 you know black lives matter nonsense and 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 gay rights and and you know all of that kind of stuff and i'm like i know what you what you think you're saying when you start talking about blm but like i all lives matter is one of the most aggravating things that I've, I'm like, tell me you don't understand without telling me you don't understand. Right. <laughs> like you have 100% missed the point. Yeah. Or the spinoff blue lives matter as well. Or like, blue lives matter too. Yeah. Well, And the, the dumbest part was how, how ignorant of all that they, they were because a month before all lives matter started trending, they were talking about how, Oh, well only 1% die. So who cares? Yep. Which is it? One percent, ninety-nine percent matter, and one percent doesn't, or all lives matter. Which is it? Yeah, I just think that comes up so often, and it comes up too with the Palestine and Israel issue. Is that like whenever you make a stance for in support or in solidarity with a specific group of people, whether you're coming from it from a feminist angle or racism, anti-racism angle, or a pro-Palestine angle, or whatever you want to say, like people translate. I am for women's rights to I am against everyone else's rights. Right. right. And right. it comes back to the right, this, the fundamental logic. And this is something that I talk about and teach in my classes on modernity, right. And modernization and the enlightenment era as well, is that like, along with these enlightenment values that we teach of like democracy and humanism and all these things is what people fail to recognize is that those were built on a dichotomy, right? In order for mm -hmm. you to recognize humanism, you had to recognize that some people were not human, right? In order for you to valorize reason and rationality, you had to condemn spiritualism. You had to condemn animalism, right? So there had to be a shadowy other for you to condemn. And I think that we still operate according to that same logic and we don't interrogate it. So when we say I am for feminism, people are like, oh, you hate all men because they're still operating with the shadowy other. And I think that is one of the things that like we as a society, like as if we don't shake that, we won't ever actually be able to move beyond this either or thing. We'll be stuck forever. <laughs> and it's certain it, it's in a lot of ways. This is the result of however many years of American church. Because we have been preaching us versus them for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. It, they're coming for your kids was an us versus them type of idea. They are coming. Yep. Yep. The, you and know, that's, yeah, it was fascinating when I, when I used to be, um, I, I, I don't know if either one of you guys knows, knows this, but I used to, um, be a, uh, uh, into like, uh, Satanism, Wicked occult, like occult practices, diff different we, things we like that. We do a show called my... "Is It Pagan." I'm 
pretty well aware of your past here. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I when I was in my twenties, I I was I was very um, like actually practiced the religious side, you know, and and all of that kind of stuff. And it's it's been fascinating from different angles to see the realities of America's constant need to other somebody, some group. Yeah. Somebody's always been othered. Always. It's looked different, different. And, and, and I would argue now from the Christian perspective that as long as there is an other and you're not just looking at somebody as a human, forget about whether or not you agree with their lifestyle choices. Matters not. Just as a human being, we will never be able to really live out yeah. Matthew 5 through 7. Right. It's a Mago Day. Yeah. I mean, that that is the, the key piece, is that we have to view people as image bearers. Yeah. Because at that point, there is no other. And, you know, and that that's part of what that's part of why I was shocked that the statement of we are not called to have enemies got such backlash. It's like that is the core of what Christianity is, is that we are all made in the image of God. And we are loved by God. So why are we going around acting like we are allowed to hate people that God loves? Because they don't, and that's that's the to to bring it back full circle. That's the danger in trying to read an agenda into all of those things, into all of this, into into anything theological, but into people groups and conquering heroes and all of that kind of stuff, because. When you read something into it, somebody has to be left out. Somebody needs to be the villain of the story. Somebody's got to be burning in hell for salvation to make sense for me. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the thing that gets that gets me is, you know... <laughs> One of the one of the things that uh, that Andrew and I both both can tell you is that um, I think just about the only oh no never mind there was a short that your dad put out that got that got him some heat on on YouTube oh, yeah. and got people calling <laughs> him a heretic. Oh, but for a while, for a while he was the only one out of us that had ne- that had not been called a heretic yet. Uh, but I but think no, I he- probably get the most most male out of everybody, but Joe's not that far behind me. No, no. Um, but when you start talking about, okay, all right, let's, I'll, I'll go, I'll go straight to the heart of the controversy for a lot of people and say something is say something like same sex marriage. Okay. I went out on, uh, I, I went out um, earlier this year mm-hmm. and I reached out to a lot of people that I trust to speak into my life. And said, okay, I want you to give me a hermeneutic for two things. Women in leadership and same-sex marriage. 
I, w- I want to, I actively want to hear where, where your reasoning is at and all of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Because on in the East, we are, it, it, it is, the culture is very anti-women, anti-homosexuality. Just blanket, no nuance, just that's what it is. But a lot of it's institutionalized. A lot of it's mm-hmm. just just generational passed down. That's the way it is because Pastor Padre, Father so-and-so said this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I wanted to, like you, like you said, in, interrogate it. Right. Ask the questions. See if it holds up. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of them stayed, one of them went. I used to be the type that if I walked into a church and and Andrew and I have gone around and around and around about this, but I would walk into a church and if I, if there was a woman in the pulpit, the, the, the lizard part of my brain would just be like, Nope, can't do it. This isn't right for, for years, because that was what I was taught. Because that was what what I what I had inherited, and it was so the same I thing just for me it was the same thing for me. That was what it was always taught, and so that was that was how we were. That was basically what we were told to do. Was if you see a woman in the pulpit, you leave the church because obviously that church is not following the Bible, right? And so that's when that that for for me. And the, the deeper that I get into the theology of the kingdom of God, the less that started to make sense. Yeah. And so I that's that's when it came time. I was like, you know what? Part of being part of life is understanding that sometimes you are the jerk of the situation. Sometimes the egg is on your face right. and you've got to figure it out and be willing to change where you need to change. It's okay to admit that you're wrong. What right. do you do with that? A wise man says sorry a lot. <laughs> right? Like so what and do you so do? Finally, and so finally and my should- my wife was not she would she would she would not she understood that she disagreed with me. But she's like you've got to, you've got to figure it out for yourself. You've got to get there get there yourself. And so finally one day I approached her after just continuing to dive into where everybody goes to and dive, diving into the, the, the theology of the kingdom and all of that kind of stuff. And I, I went to her and I'm like, you know what? One of the sacred, sacred idols has been smashed. I, I, and it was actually one of the things that really kicked off the season was when, um, your dad and I were going through the ordination classes and he asked me, he goes, okay, so um, you're staffing a church and um, you're, you're looking for somebody who uh, to, to fill the role of pastor at your church. Um, There is a woman um, qualified and called. Do you, do you hire her? Would you, would you ordain her? and bring her on. My instinct was to say no. Uh, but, but again, interrogating it and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I've, I've, I have since called, uh, come back and said, well, wait a minute. Now, 
like I said, and I've got to own the 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 other half of it that's controversial to uh, to some. Like that's controversial to some, but it's also controversial to say one stayed and one went. Right. The women in leadership thing went. Now, the thing about marriage rights mm-hmm. and all of that is this is another one of those topics that gets used to destroy people on the regular. And I'm the kind of guy, I've said this to Andrew a dozen times. I wish, I wish somebody could hand me the hermeneutic. I wish somebody could hold, could hand me the key. And I, my life would be so much easier if I was just like, (laughs) Oh yeah, no, I'm cool. Like, this is cool. And not just on this issue on a lot of different issues. We've had that discussion. (laughs) Yeah. But, but, one of the things that happened when we when we started opening up our doors in the house church and all of that kind of stuff is my wife and I both were ministering to folks and people were coming that would identify as gay or identify as trans or different things like that. And, and they, they, it started off very much that they were talking to my wife because m- my wife has one of the biggest hearts that I've ever met in a human being mm. ever. And I would watch the way, like I knew what her convictions were, mm-hmm. but I would watch the way that she would talk to them and the way that she would interact with them. And I would sit back and pay attention to those things. So to say that you hold the conviction of a particular hermeneutic and that you still hold the conviction of Matthew 5 through 7. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They're not. Yeah. I tell people that all the time because I think that, like, like I said, a lot of people mistake sharing the gospel. I'm like getting giving people an opportunity to believe in Christ as regulating their sin, regulating their behaviors. And that's not our job at all. No. No. Right. Like, especially if someone doesn't subscribe to what we believe, like, what do I look like? It doesn't even make sense. It's like me going into China and saying, okay, you guys need to use the same laws that we have in America. Like I'm not going to enforce American laws in China because it's China. They have their own laws. It's the same kind of principle. If you don't believe in the Bible, why would I try to enforce these laws on you, right? You exactly. don't believe them. You're not a citizen, right? So like, it's not yours. My job then is to focus on how do I love you and how do I lead you to Christ? And when right. you come to Christ, he will deal with the rest, right? Holy Spirit will come in and create in you a clean heart, renewing you a right spirit, right? I don't have to tell you to walk away from those things. It's not my job. And I think you're right. Like, And so because of that, right, I think that, when people recognize that, right, it allow it frees them, right, so that they don't have to focus on being so judgmental. They can focus on doing the labor of loving, right? They can focus on actually ministering to people instead of being like, okay, I got to make sure that you're on your P's and Q's and I'm on my P's and Q's. Like, there is freedom in Christ, right? So we don't need to be regulating other people's behavior like that. Well, we're, we're not right. even supposed to. Like there, there's nothing 
that tells us we are supposed to be regulating other people. You know, this was, you know, in another one of the, the blogs I did over the summer. You know, the, the phrase that gets thrown around online all, all the time when these sort of discussions come up is, oh, well, you know, I'm not supposed to cast my pearls before a swine. <laughs> and the first problem with that is, one, they were intentionally doing it to call people pigs. But the other part of it is that that's not even what is is being said there. It has nothing to do with that. <laughs> like the, that the, the whole thing, everybody's focused on the pigs part of it and forget, and not realizing the fact that's attached to the idea of taking the log out of your own eye. And so the idea of not, not serving pearl swine is that we are checking ourselves so that we can actually give people what they need. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And not ruin everything in the process. Yeah, but we'd rather other them and judge them, mostly because it actually makes us feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had an interesting um, young adults Bible study on that, um, coming from James and talking about the sin of partiality, mm-hmm. right? And like really in, interrogating that and being like, "Oh, this is a sin for me to come in and with my stereotypes, with my prejudices, with my expectations, and to treat you a certain way because of it." And I think that like people don't like think of it that way, right? If anything, they think that um, being a Christian is a license to judge, right? Right. And I think that because of that, like the church is suffering because of that, right? Like people are turning away left and right because of that. Instead of recognizing that we are at fault for it. Well, it's what you identified earlier. It's the fact that everything that we have culturally within this country is built off of humanism. Every part of it is built off of it, including the theology that has been taught here for, you know, over, you know, 200 years as a country, but 400, 500 years. Right. And that's how you get to um, only Christians are image bearers, that that a prerequisite for being an image bearer is to be saved. I just had another comment. I just had another pop up of that of somebody commenting that on that post. Right. But this that's the third person in 24 hours that has said that to me about the fact of why they think they don't have to love other people. Right. Yeah. That that we are called to love our own and that um you know we we love our own and make converts. And that's that's the job of the Christian. And and that's I I will I will forever question the sinner's prayer. I will forever question altar calls because our our what like okay if that person really does have like if that really is a moment in their life and i'm not judging the moment of are you actually a christian but the i guess the question is is what are you doing after that what are you are you are you teaching lordship are you teaching relationship are you teaching those things like it's not so much about me judging the moment but I guess when I say when I say like things like the sinner's prayer or things like an altar call, generally those things are associated with a, a churn and burn sort of approach where we're just looking to make converts and we're just trying to bring people through and then oh, but that's that's what small groups are for. That's what we've got this one for. And and you know, small groups are whatever. They are they are what they are. If they can if they if they if if they work, they work. But are you are you teaching people the practicality of doing life? 
with God. And I guess that's part of where I have found a happy home in this conversation, in this discourse, is because I can relate to people who can say at a base level, dude, I've seen some stuff and I've seen too much for me to buy into the nonsense of this people group is right. This people group is wrong. That group of people is okay, but they're not all of that kind of stuff. I've, I've seen too much to believe in that God, that version of God. Right. And it's the, it's the difference between, you know, the, the terms Greg uses within CSR, it's, you know, the double D's of, is it a day's decision or is it dedicated discipleship? Mm-hmm. You know, are you just raising your hand? Or are you dedicating yourself to follow after what Christ has taught us? Which is it? One of those things is what we see in scripture. The other is what we use to be able to make reports on our business meetings every month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it also requires us to be more as believers, to be more vulnerable and authentic. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Because I don't think that we share the cost of Christ. Right. right? I think that we like are just like, oh, yeah, I go to church on Sundays and now I'm holy instead of being like, no, I work for this. Right. I work to struggle with um, with cussing. Right. I work to be pure in my body. Right. I work to like love people. I work to have patience. Right. And I have to give up some things. And I think that like a lot of people are scared of that. Um, And part of it, you know, is prosperity gospel stuff. But Mm -hmm. also part of it is just that like. People, I feel like um, people, especially in American society, right, like to have their cake and eat it too, right? Is that they like to be like, okay, I should be able to have the benefits of this, but not the disadvantages. And Mm -hmm. I think that like that is where we get into, like you said, this, oh, I'll say a prayer and now I'm saved. So I don't have to worry about eternity, but I can still do whatever I want in my life. And that's not true, right? And that's why you you teach lordship evangelism, right? Where it is about discipleship. It is about living together. And it is about the cost, right? So I'm always a firm person. I tell them up front, I was like, no, this is not easy, right? It's doable. It's possible because of Holy Spirit, because God has empowered me to do it and continues to. But like, this is not something that you come in and you just say, hi, bye. All glory to God, (laughs) right? (laughs) And that's that's where I find myself in this weird spot of um, feeling like I'm on multiple sides of the conversation when it comes to the last several years. Because on one hand, like how many people need to come forward that they have lost somebody and all of that for this to be like a legitimate thing. And to, the answer is to some that will never be, there will never, there will never be enough because it, it comes down to a fundamental um, lack of value on human life. Right. Yeah. Um, but also at the same time, one of the things that, that has been, that had become very abundantly clear, very, very quickly is, okay. So if you strip away, the routines, the rituals, the building, the music, the pew seat. What are you left with? Oh, that left a lot of churches in a really awkward position. They were caught with their pants down. And that, that is one of those things that 
um, I think is so important to pay attention to, not out of a place of judgment, but out of a place of how can we then move forward and instill a sense of community among our churches so that way we're actually engaging each other, but also engaging the community that that we're in, valuing people, even if they don't agree, even if they see things differently than I do. Right. You know, like that's when when we when we work towards loving other people, when we work towards living in a way that honors God, living by the standards in that, that bring life. When we work towards those things, we are working towards a posture that ultimately then engages something spiritual that then begins this process of the renewing of the mind, the uh-huh. renewing of the spirit, and becoming more Christ-like at a supernatural level. The thing about that, is that you have to die to yourself. Right. You have to stop engaging these things and some things for as long as you are a human, for as long as you are on this side of the veil, as long as you are in this world, you have no guarantee that you're suddenly going to not be tempted. I think it was the other Pastor Joe who posted on Facebook about how, um, you know, so- sometimes it's learning to live with the temptation. I'm, right. I'm summarizing it. I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something to that effect. And I'm like, oh, oh, say that again for the people in the back. You know what I mean? Like people need oh, to hear that. Away. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, but, but if Jesus was tempted, who's just like, why do we think that we are going to, that, that all of these things are just going to be wiped away and we're not called to be a part of the world in the world at any level, whether it is the individual part uh, portions of it. Like we, yes, we think of things from a, from a me centric lens but but at the same token, it's a yes and conversation because you, each one of you, individually matter to God. Your stories, your hardships, everything that you've been through, your experiences, all of it, from A to Z, you matter to God. But your faith was never called to be your own. What happens between you and God then gets poured into the corporate. Uh-huh. That gets poured into the the giant bowl that is everybody together, the community. Yeah. So whether it's political, whether it's sociological, whether it's right in your own backyard, whether it's halfway across the world, mm-hmm. the mission statement doesn't change. Right. And it doesn't matter who's in power. The mission right. statement doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's where that's where we we also find ourselves a lot in the social justice discussion. Mm-hmm. Is that because the social justice discussion has become even more political than it already was? 
the thought process for a lot of people is, well, social justice is them political party, which means that if I support it, I support them. So not only do I not support them, I can't support this. And so I have to ensure my person gets into office no matter who it hurts. Mm. Because it's not about, it's not even about the justice side of it. Right. They can claim it is all they want. It's not about the justice side of it. It's about the fact that I, my faith is relying upon who is in control. And then when we say that, we make it very clear that we don't think God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's the beauty of books like Esther. I feel like Daniel is like this as well, mm-hmm. even though Daniel more explicitly does talk about God. Both of them to me are about how do we see God's sovereignty in a nation that doesn't recognize him, right? In a space that isn't his, right? And we see it through his people, right? We see it in the way he leads them and the way they're willing to submit to him, right? They make the choice to do that. And I think, um, Joe, you brought this up um, when you were talking about you have to die to yourself, right? And I think I was talking about this with somebody before and it just clicked for me now. Um, especially with Andrew, you were talking about how we should be peacemakers, right? Is that um, empathy, the way that we teach empathy is inherently flawed, right? We teach 100%. empathy that that is like, you have to, in order to empathize with a person, you put yourself in their shoes and you feel bad because if you were in their shoes, that would make you feel bad. It's still about us and not about the other person, right? right? Whereas true empathy Right. What we have the ability to do because we are accustomed to dying to ourselves, to laying down our life. Right. As Christians is being willing to hear that person and listen to that person for what they say they need, regardless of whether it's something we can understand or not. Right. And I think that is something that makes people so uncomfortable because it requires you to set aside yourself. But it's Mm -hmm. something that we are equipped to do. And kind of building on what you were saying, Andrew, like makes us um, qualified to be peacemakers, right? Is that like we through Holy Spirit know how to set ourselves aside, right? Like we, if anybody in this world should not be tied to what is in the world or what is is that we desire, it should be us, right? right? And so we (laughs) should be able to do that, to, to have that kind of empathy. If another person, another human being comes to you and says, I don't feel safe because of X, Y, Z, our reaction should not be well, that sounds like a you problem, not a me right. problem, or I can't see it that way, so I don't support you. It should be, okay, tell me what you need, because I want you to be safe, right? <laughs> Regardless first, of what it means for me. <laughs> I think the first time you had me on, Joe, or maybe it was the second time, because I think the first time was just mis- misfit related. The second time was dealing with what is a Christian's responsibility towards rights. Yep. And you know, th- this is the thing that, again, for whatever reason, it we, we, I mean, we know why, but for whatever reason, we can't get it corrected, no matter how much we talk about it, is the fact that the, the responsibility of a Christian is to seek the prosperity of the city out of Jeremiah 29, 7. Jeremiah 29, 7, yep. Mm-hmm. That city that they were seeking the prosperity of was a pagan yep. city that was run by a pagan king. Yeah. And that even changed the names of the people that were there. Right. To represent their gods instead of their gods. 
but the call was the same. You seek the, their prosperity. So that means that sometimes when it comes to the voting booth, we have to vote in a way that is detrimental to ourselves. But that helps the person across the street. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a concept that is flies in the face of everything that is the United States of America. Yeah. Yeah. That on, on my best days, on my best days, I can, I can articulate something, something like that. Um, way more often than not, it just comes out as anti-patriot patriotism. <laughs> um, that's why you, I, that's why you bring me on to do it instead. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's why you have me on misfit so often is because right. I make you look like a moderate. That's right. <laughs> and yet i but, still uh, get all the hate mail yeah 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 that's that's the value of of hiding behind somebody who is way more vocal than i am yeah um so you know i i think it's so it's it to me it's such a beautiful picture into what is possible when you look at the three of us, wildly different con uh, co contexts, different backstories, different different paths to this point. All here recognizing the same or similar things, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and that is completely to the connective tissue of Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. When you are focused on the kingdom of God and seeking first the kingdom of God, it is astonishing what comes out of that and the perspective that mm -hmm. comes out of that. Not from an elitist point of view. If you think that that leads to elitism, then you don't understand in the first place. Not at all. You know, and, and so when the the with with something like this the 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 thing that all three of us in our own ways are trying to convey here is let the story speak for itself if you're talking about something like esther let the story speak for itself understand the history that goes into that understand the God of it all and the overarching, unfailing, unchanging character of God that's on full and vibrant display, even though the name of God isn't mentioned once. Mm -hmm. And and when you consider these things, when you consider positions, when you consider people groups, when you consider different aspects of this conversation. Understand the, the value of looking at this through through the lens of a Christocentric perspective, through the lens of the Holy Spirit, not through your own belief system, not through your own political party, not through your own, you know, you, what, what you've been taught by pastor, padre, father, so-and-so. Mm -hmm. Because it's not, a, it's not for taking a man's perspective. Don't get me wrong. There are tons of great leaders out there that are worthy of shepherding the flocks that they have been called to. 
They have proven themselves obedient and worthy. There are tons. But ultimately, they shepherd because they've been shepherded. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, they are pointing to the shepherd. I'm curious. One of the things that, that came up in our conversations, Tiara, is um, you... You and I are called to specific or, or, or rather similar um, s- similar posts just on two different sides of it. I'm, I tend to be the bridge point between millennials and Gen X, where you tend to be the bridge point between millennials and Gen Z. What does this look like? When you're looking at the lens of the now 20-somethings that are now some of the freshest voters and uh, opinionated young younger gener- generation that are out there and seeing this world around them, what does that look like as you're trying to convey these values to the younger generation? Yeah, that's a big question. I think that one of the biggest things is that I think, and I can't speak for other generations, but I know for this, for this time, at least, that it's becoming more increasingly clear that you cannot separate what you believe from what you do. Um, In the sense that if you say you are for a certain group's rights, then you have to walk the walk too, Mm -hmm. or or you get canceled, right? Like, and I know that people rag on cancel culture and all of this stuff, but like, I think it is indicative of people are hungry and thirsty for an authenticity, right? And they're looking yeah. for ways to hold people accountable to you need to be who you say you are. Um, and so for me, that's what I do. That's what I take the most seriously in trying to, like you said, be that bridge, especially because even though like I'm a person that believes firmly that we are the church, like you said, not the building, not the pews, but we are the church. Right. Yeah. And so I take that very seriously in that for a lot of people that I encounter, I am the closest thing they'll get to a Bible. Right. Because they whether because of church hurt or whatever, they're not going to open it up. They're not going to walk into those doors. And so I take it very seriously. that I have to be that. Right. I have to be that church. And so. I lead with actions first. And I think that is often what allows me to have these conversations is because I will show up and I'll support. I'll be like, oh, you you have this going on, this this protest, this da-da-da-da. I'm there. I'm here with you. And then later, late at night, how do you feel about this? You know, being that you're a Christian, right? <laughs> and those conversations happen and people can take me seriously because my actions align up with what I say I am. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that that is the most critical thing for going between the millennial and the Gen Z is that they're so sick and tired of people saying, I want this and not delivering. Right. And yeah. so it's just time to deliver. Yeah. 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 It's, it's fascinating to me. The difference in, uh, on one hand, I do, I do think that sometimes the idea of generational distinctions goes too far. Mm-hmm. 
as any kind of categorization of human beings. <laughs> right, exactly. But groups that are born during a certain time period, there are similarities for a reason. Mm-hmm. And from from my side, it's trying to show that when you say something, don't you you don't need to add everything else into the bucket that you think a person's saying and all of the stuff that mm-hmm. isn't actually be being said. That's why you'll hear me say a lot, don't hear what I'm not saying. Mm-hmm. That, you know, oh, if you're pro this, this must mean da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I cannot tell you how many times I have had conversations with folks where they had no idea that there was a difference between the movement Black Lives Matter and the organization Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. That people just heard BLM Mm. and immediately went to, oh, it's that organization. And Mm. that's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And... And that's that's just that's just one minor example that I can throw out there in a million other examples that are out there. And that's what I mean by minor is there's so many of them. You yeah. could literally point to countless examples of these different things that are just like, you know, no, I don't because I say this, I didn't say any of that other stuff. I just said this. You know what well, I mean? And it extends even beyond that to, you know, when the stuff that we're doing with misfits and stuff where we're, you know, breaking things down into basic theology points as to where things coming from. Mm -hmm. The assumption is, oh, well, you just hate us. You just hate us because you're saying that our theology is bad. So that means you think we're bad. It's like, no, we're saying that you are a victim of bad theology, just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. This isn't about you. (laughs) <laughs> it's about yeah. what is being taught compared to what Christ told us to do. That's not crazy. That's the same argument people make with racism. Are you still yeah, racism, right? Like, oh, right. why are you it's calling me a bad person? I, I'm talking about a system here that maybe you participate in, but like, it's not about you as a human being. <laughs> like, right. You know, you know, any time that the, the phrase white Christian is put out, Immediately you get jumped on like, well, you just hate white people. Like, no, white Christian is a very specific label. There's mm-hmm. a specific ideology attached to that. Mm-hmm. So and yes. if you are offended by it, then that may mean you identify with that, which then maybe you should listen to what's being said. But if you don't even identify it as that, why do you care? Because it's not about you even though we want to make everything about us and everything personal. And the, the thing that has always been hilarious to me is that the generations that do this are the ones that complain about millennials or gen, even gen X and gen Z being too sensitive. Yep. yep. Where do you think we learned it? <laughs> you can cut that part out. I know you're ready to cut that part out, Joe. <laughs> oh yeah, no. no. I f- I figure I figure if people are going to get offended by this episode, might as well just all inclusive. Just everybody that we <laughs> everybody's going to get hit. <laughs> yeah. 
you want me since it's on topic you want me to unload what i researched this summer related to this whole topic go for it so the 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 thing that comes up a lot and it's the same thing we just talked about as far as the fact that when we say if we say you know that israel should cease fire and that there should be peace the immediate response is well you're anti-semitic This is what I found, is that there are a lot of Jews, specifically Orthodox Jews, that have been keeping the Torah that are anti-Zion and pro-Palestine. And there's a reason for that. Because the way they interpret certain sections of Zechariah, they see that the only way that the Jews are supposed to return from the diaspora is via the Messiah returning and establishing a earthly, global Israeli kingdom. Hmm. And so for England, Britain, UK, whatever you want to call them at the time, establishes a Palestinian or an Israeli state in Palestine, they're saying that England has put themselves in the place of the Messiah, which is blasphemy. And so they are going to reject it. The flip side of this is that if you talk to the Messianic Jews, they believe the same thing, that in order to return from exile, the Messiah must do it. They believe the Messiah has done it. And so an Israeli state is not the problem. But the problem now is that the Israeli state is doing exactly what every other nation on earth had done to the Jewish people. Right. And so they are not following what the Messiah has taught. One section of Judaism is, is saying that, look, you are trying to be nationalists. And that goes against the Torah, which is the exact opposite argument we hear from Christian nationalists here in the U.S., the Messianic Jews are saying, you are trying to be nationalists. And that goes against everything that we read, both in the Torah and in the Gospels. Right. Mm-hmm. And so part of the problem with the whatever Israel does is okay, and we need to support them no matter what, is that the arguments that are used for that one, we already said, are exploiting the Jewish people because it's about us, mm-hmm. not them. And two... None of it is backed up by two major sects of Jewish people, and it's based out of their scriptures as to why it's not the case, because it is promoting a nationalist ideal, which is an imperialist ideal, which now we're back to humanism. None of this has any theological backing to it when we actually stop and ask the people that actually matter in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why when, when we get to things like cold war theology, when we get to these concepts that, um, you know, they, they may be same soup, different bowl. Maybe it looks a little bit different for a different part of the world, but it's the same idea. Mm-hmm. It's it's because when you reduce these things down, you're at some point going to hit a similar notion 
it's not based in scripture. It's based in some kind of psychological uh, perspective or yeah, yeah, something along those lines. And, you know, we're, we aren't here trying to condemn anybody who may have looked at this stuff or may have, maybe you've heard Esther taught in a certain way, or maybe you've had a specific perspective on the current conflict or something, some version of this. Our job is not to sit here and condemn you. That's not what we're here for. Mm-hmm. We're here to say, look, the reality is our job remains the same as believers. Doesn't matter what group of people it is. Doesn't matter what the circumstance is. It doesn't matter what activity they engage with or anything of the sort. And so putting a political party, an ideological perspective, something like that in the driver's seat, only one thing can be in the driver's seat. You cannot serve two masters. Please tell me you're about to start seeing Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> um tempting, tempting, but I don't even know as though I know the words. Um but yeah, so so that's that's kind of that's kind of what I think I can speak for all three of us in saying that we look to accomplish when we get in front of the mic and talk about these things. Yeah, sure. There's probably some offensive stuff to, to, to different groups of people because of different ideologies, because of different perspectives, different things, things like that. I'm sure that in the last hour and a half, one of us has said something that tickles the back of the brain for somebody. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that what we are promoting is a Christocentric perspective that values human life uh-huh. and supports the idea of reading the scriptures as the full and complete narrative that they are and not isolating out specific things in light of trying to defend a particular perspective. Right. And recognizing that even in our faith and the practicing of our faith, right. Mm-hmm. And the ideas the ways that we practice our faith, they're influenced by these institutions, right? These ideologies, right? It's not separate from, I think that's the other big takeaway, right? Is that people assume that if you are a Christian and you practice the Bible, like it's just an objective thing that is separate from how you learn and how you practice everything else. And it's not, right? No. It doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? Like the whole Jews versus Muslim thing, right? That they turn this conversation into is a direct result of anti-terrorist rhetoric of the US, right? Like, and so we take it as, oh no, it's just about religion. But like, no, that's something that has been adopted because of a specific institutional belief. And so it is our job then when we are practicing our belief is to weed out what is institutional and what is actually biblical Mm -hmm. to find that perspective, that Christ-centric perspective that you're talking about, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. That's, there are, again, a lot of different examples of how we can point to um, a thought process informing how we interact with a people group. You know, I, I, I will, I'll be the first one 
you know, I, I, I'm, I, I have no problem admitting that what happened in 2001 was an incredible tragedy of, 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 of a, a gigantic magnitude. But in no point in any of that does that mean that that informs how you view other people. Mm -hmm. How you view anybody who wasn't involved in that and try and paint them in a similar light because of ultimately where a person's from or the color of their skin. And I'm only giving the benefit of the doubt that you care about whether or not they're uh, where they're from because I'm trying to be charitable. Mm-hmm. I have enough experience to understand mm-hmm. that most people don't even get that far. Right. So like when, when you've experienced enough things, yeah, sometimes you get to be the heel of the situation. Sometimes you get to be the, you get to be the bad guy that calls other people out for what you, for what, for what you see. Mm-hmm. And that does make you the heel in some people's eyes, but like, it is what it is. You can't, you can't unring the bell. It's been a thing for 20 plus years now. And before that, I'm not saying that this whole thing started in 2001, but I'm saying that the, that the most current version of it. Mm-hmm. So anything, anything else you guys want to want to throw in before we uh, bring this thing in for a landing? Mm-hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I can't tell whether or not Andrew is just at a loss for words or frozen again. But I'm, <laughs> I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. So, guys, appreciate you guys um, joining me for this episode. Um, if uh, if you have not yet, which is a which is uh, um, incredibly unlikely, um, but <laughs> if you have not checked him out yet. Um, for more of this realm of conversation, for this line, this line of conversation, um, head over to ministrymisfits.com. Um, look him up on all of the socials, YouTube, etc. cetera. Uh, he, Brandon, and I don't know your other two co-hosts. Uh, Tomiko. Tomiko and uh, Karen is on every once in a while, yeah. Okay. Uh, Tomiko, um, yeah. What... Okay, remind me to bring something up off there. Um, so, so you can check them out um, at uh, every Tuesday. Um, they come out with a new episode, and um, you know, Tiara, I appreciate you co- coming on um, and and spending some time in in the Looney Bin with us. Um, <laughs> is there are there any projects that you're that you're working on currently? I don't remember. Um, projects, you mean like online projects? Is that what you're like? Yeah. Anything to promote? Mm, nope. I think okay. at this moment, I'm strictly in the academic realm. Um, okay. I will be, uh, hosting a uh, virtual workshop though, event, and I will pass that your, your way when I get that information. It will be on the supernatural, um, the Bible and its representation in pop culture. Oh, yeah, yeah, that that is right. Sounds like your type of thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So guys, um, thank you all for listening to this uh, longer than usual, but uh, hopefully beneficial episode of Buddy Walk. Um, Tune in. We have a couple more conversations uh, planned out for this season. Um, And then after, once we wrap up here, we will be going into the Axe project. But for now, remember you are prayed for, you are loved deeply. Peace y'all.